Hey there, my name is Valentin Umbach, and you're listening to Analytics Anonymous, the show where I talk with analytics leaders and practitioners about the challenge of making better decisions with data. In this episode, I talk with Saomi about data democratization. Saomi works as head of analytics platform at Tier Mobility in Berlin. He has a, a master's in software engineering, and he's worked in various different roles from software engineering, data analysis, um, business intelligence at companies in Berlin and India. And Sami, I'm super happy to have you on the show today. Hey, Valentin. Uh, thanks a lot for, the, for, for inviting me to the podcast and having me today. It's a, it's a pleasure to uh, have an interaction and uh, share my experiences with you. Before we get into the topic of data democratization that we want to talk about today, I always like to start with uh, one a little bit more personal question um, about your personal experience. And so, as I mentioned before, you have worked in tech companies uh, both in India and in Berlin. And can you maybe talk a little bit about the difference or similarities that you've seen there? So are there some things that you like better working in one place or the other? Working in both in India and in and in Berlin, I and to be honest, I I find both environments uh, great, and especially especially in India as well as in Berlin, I could see the number of startups and scale ups, and the amount of unicorns that both the countries and cities have, have created in the last decade has been phenomenal, and it also gave a lot of opportunities and the career growth, and uh, you can see the increase in compensation for the different roles, especially for product tech and data. It's, uh, it's a lot of opportunities available in both countries. And uh, regarding the work, it's amazing culture, both sides, uh, even though it is in India, but still is a land of multiculture, you know, uh, a lot of states representing a lot of, uh, lot of uh, people, diversity and different languages. Um, I can say almost every or all 100% of the work environment in India is English. So people can communicate easily, they can collaborate well. There's a lot of diversity uh, in India. And, and similarly in Berlin, uh, all, of my, all of my colleagues are English speaking, even though they come from different countries of Europe as well as in uh, international background. Uh, amazing diversity, amazing culture. Uh, so I can see a lot, I, I can say a lot of similarities. Mm and they share a lot of interesting things about both sides. In terms of differences, yeah, I, 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 would, like to, I would like to share one or two or very few differences uh, in, in working. Working in India, uh, at, least, at least back then, we, people, was, people were not aware or not being very vocal about sharing, not working outside the working hours. So people, people were stretching, people had to stretch mm. uh, time to finish their tasks and deadline. But what I hope uh, in, the, in the last years, this awareness of work-life balance and the setting expectations, drawing boundaries have, 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 have grown, have uh, increased a lot. Hmm. And, and, and even in Berlin, I wouldn't say everyone is working 100% ideally and having a perfect work-life balance. Uh, people are being very vocal about it. People are raising concerns. They want to, they want to make it a lot better. Yeah. Thanks so much for, 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 these, for these insights. It's really interesting. For me, I have only worked in, in the Berlin uh, ecosystem. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's also really interesting to hear about all of these similarities in particular yeah, um, that you're maybe not thinking about if, if you haven't worked uh, in, in another place. Um, 
Great. So, Saumi, I would like to um, get started with the topic uh, that we have today of data democratization, um, which is often, you know, um, also thought of in the context of um, self-service analytics, uh, you know, bringing data to to as many people as possible in the organization. And um, there are many aspects to this, um, and I would like to start with the more um, technical parts of it, and then later we go into into you know organizational or cultural aspects of it. Um, so when when we're thinking about the tools and technologies um, uh, that we need to build a, a kind of a platform that allows data democratization, um, I think on a very high level you can split. Uh, this such a platform into into some you know basic layers um, in uh, in my experience so that would be ingestion data ingestion would be storage transforming and modeling data and then um, consumption layer or activation layer um, firstly do you also agree with this uh, rough separation and and how would you how would you go about um, you know building a platform around these pillars yeah yeah and uh, and uh, uh, thanks for starting the conversation from the from the technical side of it and uh, i would definitely 100% agree with with the with the rough separation that that you had mentioned starting from ingestion storage to transformation slash modeling or maybe consumption area and this is a very simplistic high level uh, conceptual layer uh, in my in my view and and uh, this view gets slightly granular or even complex as in when the analytics and analytical use cases in the in the organization matures and even the data teams matures and uh, uh, for example we could we could have a storage layer straight in snowflake or a bigquery uh, teams or building uh, data warehouses as a lake data lake uh, option and and uh, as in when the complexity increases that the teams had to form an enterprise wide data lake probably in s3 or something and similarly uh, we can imagine uh, kafka or events uh, even based streaming as a layer added before ingestion mm. at the same time the, the consumption could also become in multiple ways could be in bi could be in uh, augmented analytics could be in uh, operation analytics so that's how i see the layers get gets uh, slightly diverse and uh, even more complex and uh, coming to the uh, point of building platform around these pillars Uh, in in my view, uh, self serve uh, uh, plays a vital criteria in 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 the building a platform around these pillars, and and some of the choices are like whether we do build versus buy, and uh, and uh, how can we leverage the modern data stack and the data tooling that are available right now uh, are also playing a, mm-hmm. playing a key role, and 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 the most uh, objective here is to make it completely self serve. decentralized so that analytics and teams can work on it independently and yeah. you um you mentioned a few things that i want to um dig a little bit deeper into for example um so self service uh, tools but also um this build versus buy uh, you know question um and i know there the modern data stack you also brought up that term it's 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 exploding in the last few years many uh, new um, companies and tools are coming out all the time and a lot of these are promising to deliver you know a self-service solution in some way so i mean thinking about of course tools like looker um, or maybe power bi or thoughtspot one of the newer um, entrants that i'm aware of 
um, what are, what is your experience um, with with such tools? Which ones have you maybe uh, also used personally? Um, and is there some tools that are really um, helpful uh, or successful? You know, in in building the self service um, experience. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you you definitely pointed out some of the very good examples in uh, in this question and uh, from my experience uh, it, uh, especially at tier we are we are working with looker and and uh, we have seen uh, amazing success in the last few years on on enabling business and decision makers to use data in a self service way mm -hmm. and and from my previous experiences i have worked with tableau i have worked with sciences and data studio as well in in a high level, I can say most of the uh, almost all the BI tools are designed and developed in a way so that they shall be consumed in a self survey. Especially talking about Looker, I can I can share I can share a few few experiences. Yes, please. That's the kind of the kind of setup how Looker offers the LookML like the modeling layer on top of it, and uh, we still can stay on version control, and uh, how how Looker is designed in a way that. In a couple of hours of onboarding, uh, any any decision maker, business uh, data user, consumers can can start to play and then derive decisions or insights from the tool. Uh, that has that has uh, picked up a great momentum at tier, and we have a very good adoption. Uh, our monthly active users in Looker is constantly increasing month over month, and 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 we are seeing a, a, a great success. Comparing to Looker and ThoughtSpot to other other alternate options, my, my view would be to to approach the self-serve in, in multiple stages. And uh, at, at a stage one, I would say any any dashboarding, any self-serve dashboarding slash BI tool would be the first to go for. Mm. That's that's what we have as in Looker. And and anything anything else as in stage two and stage three could be a complementing this particular self-serve uh, uh, problem statement would be to add a augmented analytics, uh, could be a thought spot. Mm -hmm. or could be a data workspace something like a mode analytics mm -hmm. so I, I see them uh, as in uh, approached in stages um and uh, we we have looker at the moment and, and we are open to look into other other possibilities in the future yeah it makes a lot of sense um you you brought up the the topic of um adoption so you, you you're using looker and you 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 mentioned that you were seeing a good adoption in terms also of monthly active users so is that a way that you're also measuring kind of your success or the success of this um self-service um program let's say um or do you also have other success metrics here we we have we are we have we have few metrics to to measure the success of the self-serve uh, uh uh, analytics um, and monthly active users is one one of the way to measure adoption. Mm -hmm. uh, we are we are running surveys periodically to to the wider audience to to understand how well are they um, uh, able to discover the data, how well are they able to take decisions on the data. Mm -hmm. So we are measuring uh, measuring from the surveys as well, and and we are running on we are running different programs and different metrics as well to to measure the. Mm -hmm. uh, adoption on the data, especially on the self-serve part. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really like that. This is, reminds me of uh, a discussion I had a few episodes back um, with uh, another guest, Irina Brodaru, about how to measure really the success of, of uh, an analytics program. And I think here, this is a really good example that you're um, bringing up in particular for, for the self-service now. 
Um, I would like to um, jump to a, a different maybe layer of, of, the, of the data stack, um, the transformation and modeling layer. Um, and uh, here in the last years, a lot of organizations have really um, adopted DBT as a tool to, uh, to manage uh, all of the data transformations that are happening in the data warehouse. And I know that, that your team is also working with DBT. I would like to um, just maybe learn a little bit more about your experiences with, with that um, tool. How did you uh, come into DBT? Uh, what are your experiences with it? Uh, maybe some best practices. Uh, why do you think this has become so successful? Yeah, definitely. When, when, I, when I talk about DBT, I, I get usually very much excited about it. So let, let me try to uh, respond to this question in, in a controlled way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how, how did we have DBT in place? I, I should uh, definitely thank my predecessors who chose DBT. So mm -hmm. I came to know about DBT when I joined Tier. Mm -hmm. And the, on the very first day when I saw DBT in place, I was super excited. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew this is going to be the next big thing in, in, in the data tooling area. And, uh, and uh, I, I can also say that this is one of the few tools that have seen enormous growth in the data tooling space, probably in the last few years. And... Uh, Whenever I, I work with DBT, I always get this question: How how were we managing this before before DBT? Yeah. So I can I can I can I can imagine all the chaos that we had, all the all the developer uh, productivity pitfalls that we had back then before DBT, DBT, and and DBT as a tool on how it creates the abstraction layer on top of the data warehousing, and and it enables the team to work on analytical uh, uh, problems purely just on a sql which is which is really amazing mm -hmm. and this is one of the one of the one of the main reasons why uh, a tier as a data team of few people like five to eight people on how we could able to grow the team quickly into 60 uh, which was which was mainly possible and uh, uh, dbt takes the power of the underlying data warehouse and with a nice abstraction layer of, which is built simply on the sql that the teams are able to deliver analytics and a data model and serve their stakeholders in a, in a such a shorter time. Um, I'm, I'm sure, and, and also how DBT has created this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could see a lot of other tools are developed on this ecosystem, which are modular and uh, 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 fitable on, on, mm -hmm. on top of DBT, which is which is amazing as well. Yeah, uh, DBT is, is, is basically everywhere now i feel like almost every company is, is either has adopted it or starting to adopt it in, in some way um so maybe moving one step further i'm still kind of like moving through the through this data stack uh, through this infrastructure um is um metrics so um i think of metrics as kind of the last mile of data modeling so um in dbt you're building your um your data models and you know resulting in some clean tables that you can analyze but then um, when you want to calculate a metric um, let's say an example from from my own experience you have let's say uh, sign ups uh, new users who sign up to your product and then you have some activity data users who are using the product and then you want to calculate a retention rate um, so users how many users are still active after a certain time uh, after their sign up and um, so you're having these two data sources and then you're trying, you're putting a calculation on top. And you, like uh, traditionally, this is this kind of calculation is happening in the BI tool. Yeah? So uh, would be uh, in Tableau, 
or Looker, for example. Um, so the same tool where we also visualize the metrics. And I know Looker, there's this, there's LookML to really, as you mentioned before, to also um, have these calculations in a in a standardized, systematic way uh, that can also be version controlled. However, um, it's still as I see it, it's still bundled to the BI tool. Uh, and, and more recently, there's been discussion about unbundling that that metrics layer into a separate um, into a separate uh, you know part of, of the of the architecture, um, so that different tools can somehow access the same calculations. Uh, DBT, for example, has added actually a support for for metrics. It's just very recent, I think. But um, have you tried that this out, or what do you think about this whole this whole um, idea of you know having metrics as a separate um, part of the stack? Yeah, and uh, when I think you you have, you have already covered the, the the kind of setup that we we have at tier. I I saw I I had a lot of problems working with metrics before Looker because. The, the metrics were defined pretty much on the UI, which yeah. is not version control, yes. which is not documented well in in some of the BI tools that we worked before. After Looker, I, I was I was much more comfortable because there is a LookML mm. where the, the metric stays in the code mm -hmm. and people cannot change it just like that. And there is a way to version control and track changes when 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 when, when metrics metrics changes are evolved. Yeah. At the same time, Looker offers a, a data dictionary view mm -hmm. where you can search the metrics um, from from the Looker interface. We we saw there was a disconnect between the DBT model and the metrics, and this is when we we thought a, a data catalog that could unify DBT, Snowflake, Looker under under a roof, and uh, uh, people could connect the dots from a table to a metric, which could which could. Uh, uh, Clarify the, the questions that people usually have: How where this metric is coming from? Mm. How this metric is attached to this particular dashboard, etc. And we we are, we are working on that path on assuming or hoping that a data catalog will unify mm. all of it under one one particular umbrella or roof. But I am I'm, I'm very much excited about the DBT metrics layer. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a short answer is that we haven't tried it yet. But I'm but I'm very curious. Uh, going to talk to the team and then whether we can uh, check that out in the upcoming upcoming weeks. If DBT can solve the metrics part as well, we would be allowed to do it in DBT yeah. uh, because documenting in DBT is so much of ease and we want all the metadata from the DBT to flow into the catalog. If you can capture a column description, table description, the number of tests that we do on DBT, mm -hmm. uh, the lineage in DBT, mm -hmm. as well as the metric in DBT, that would be like a one-stop, one-stop place for documenting everything. Yeah. We would be open for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds uh, that sounds pretty amazing. Um, if if you can kind of use that work that you're doing anyway in DBT, um, uh, basically down to the consumption layer. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's then let's let's move to the consumption layer. Um, so, um, I mean, you already mentioned that you're using Looker as the main tool to provide, you know, um, data to the stakeholders so they they can access it. Um, I would like to understand a little bit more in what way you're using Looker. I mean, you um, are you providing basically um, data sources and uh, you know explores that the business stakeholders are then you know exploring on their own how much are you is the or is your team actually building dashboards uh for for the stakeholders um 
how much is, is done in a more self-service way, let's say, and how much is more like pre prepared from the analytics team? Yeah, yeah. And talking about Looker and adoption and how we are using Looker at Tier, we are we are pretty much generous in the in the licenses that uh, that uh, we offer to the team members. Mm -hmm. We we onboard uh, almost everyone who requests access to Looker, as in read access, mm -hmm. and we are we are pretty generous in offering explore access as well mm -hmm. because we really want to uh, let them explore the data and their own own way um, and. Uh, while talking about the dashboards, I, I, I have to say that high-level analytics teams are developing or or creating a very few dashboards, okay. which which are like one-stop one-stop uh, uh, dashboard to analyze the product or the session mm -hmm. or the adoption or the numbers. Whereas all the deep deep dive, uh, uh, drill down analysis are, are done by by the data consumers themselves mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in a, in a, in a more ex more self-survey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's interesting to hear that. Yeah. And before you also shortly mentioned um, potential uh, for uh, augmented analytics tools. So uh, thinking into the direction of ThoughtSpot or maybe some other tools where you, uh, so ThoughtSpot, I think is a tool I haven't used it personally. I've just seen demo of it where you use uh, natural language uh, to to query the data and basically kind of a Google for, for, for data. Um, so did you try out any of these tools? Are you thinking about uh, um, uh, implementing one of those or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and uh, uh, talking about tools like ThoughtSpot or Mode Analytics or any anything that could mm. take the, the self-serve analytics, not from only from the dashboard, but, but to the augmented uh, way mm -hmm. or to be based on the natural processing, natural language processing way. We, we have taken a step to to make sure the looker is at the best right now yeah uh, or, or all the all the looker content organized well do we have enough onboarding training recurring training pro programs to have people uh, how to use looker the best way yeah um, we are also working on data cataloging and data documenting so mm -hmm. that the data assets are documented well mm -hmm. uh, so the main decision that we have taken at the moment is to take a stop make sure looker is at the best running mm -hmm. And then and then go into the minor uh, area where we need to come up with a, another complementing solution that could be a, a augmented ana analytics like ThoughtSpot mm. or something like a workspace tool like Mode Analytics. Yes, um, this is our uh, uh, decision right now. Mm. That that's that's mainly because of not to introduce too many tools at the same time yeah. and to and to overwhelm the consumers and also to to make sure that the existing tools that we have and all the content that we have created and explore uh, is at the best and then people can make the best out of it. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it totally makes sense not to overwhelm the consumers um, to have one, basically one place where they know they can find and work with the data. Um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so then the final um, uh, step, I think, or maybe, maybe the last step in an in, a, in this kind of uh, analytics platform can be what I would call activation layer, which is more the operational level. So um, also in the last few years, there's been a lot of talk about um, actually moving the analytics assets, you know, metrics or customer data 
back into operation tools where, where the people actually do their work. Um, so, for example, a CRM system, Zendesk, uh, um, or you know something similar, uh, um, Salesforce, whatever. Um, and, you know, vendors are calling this reverse ETL because you first you ETL the data into the warehouse and now you uh, you, uh, you know, pipe it back into the um, operational tools. Do you have experience with that or, or any thoughts on that trend? Yeah, yeah. First of all, I'm 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 very much. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's so funny that they they coined the term reverse CTL. So it's it's very catchy that everyone can understand it without without explaining what is what is going on there. I personally was very much excited about uh, this particular space too. And uh, sometime before we had interaction with some of the potential uh, tooling providers like Sensors, mm -hmm. High Touch. We were also discussing a lot of use cases that we could benefit from. Mm -hmm. um, overall, overall we see. There are some immediate uh, benefits uh, that that we can gain by by uh, implementing a reverse ETL tool, which can take the customer 360 data and put it into CRM, or uh, integrating our our data warehouse data with with the customer center call center ticketing tool. Um, we saw there's a lot of business impact, and uh, it was a matter of priority that 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 we are keeping it in the pipeline, and mm -hmm. then we are planning to tackle it in the upcoming upcoming months. And one of the main advantage of having a reverse ETL tool fit into the data stack or data platform and enabling business from, from, from my opinion is that it actually brings in a lot of value to the team. Like analytics teams create data platform yeah. and uh, most of the data products that we create are, are dashboards and reports, yes. which are operational for and helps the people to make decisions. Yes. There are machine learning AI models that we generate that that, mm. we, that we work on that that actually make a lot of revenue impact. But if you look at the eighty percent of the, the work that we have done in terms of dashboards and reports, they they end as in dashboards and reports, mm -hmm. and 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 there's not not a lot of incentive for the team members to get to a high software engineering process mm -hmm. or having high metrics or high, high SLOs. Mm -hmm. The moment we plug in reverse ETL as a component and then the data flows into CRM, then the data team is bound to have a high SLO, mm -hmm. high, high metrics, and uh, we cannot have things uh, breaking all of a sudden. So it will also bring a lot of accountability yeah. and it brings the, the notion that the BI or analytics is not a cost center, but also a revenue generating unit in the company. I, I really like that perspective. You, you add a lot of additional considerations like you would have in a normal software engineering process. Now you have SLOs, you have to, um, this is being used in production, basically. Uh, your data would be used in production and um, yeah, that adds uh, a whole other yeah, load yeah, of considerations. Definitely. And, and uh, when we have such a setup, the data teams cannot say, hey, the pipeline is down. We will, <laughs> we will fix it by end of the day. Then, then we need to that's one of the one of the production systems that is reaching to the direct consumers yeah. the users of our app or a business of course then then we will be accountable for higher slos and metrics yeah yeah so i mean it's great to have this additional impact but it also of course there comes a lot of additional responsibility with it <laughs> yeah okay um before we move uh, move on to to like um other aspects one last uh, question about you know technical uh, tools and stuff um in a, in a analytics platform um, uh, that I've come up in the past also personally in, 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 in my work. Um, there are some very domain specific tools that exist that are um, usually 
in my experience, they were usually not integrated with the platform, but they are specific maybe to uh, marketing or product analytics. Um, so very specialized to these use cases. So for example, for product analytics, yeah, you have tools like, like Amplitude or Mixpanel, and these would have you know, analysis templates. So they already, they're out of the box that you can analyze uh, funnels, user paths, retention cohorts, A-B testing, things like that, basically built out of the box. Um, and um, but often they live kind of separate to to like the rest of, of the data stack and, and to the data warehouse. Um, what do you think about these types of tools and is there a place for these tools in, in, a, in a modern analytics platform? Talking about product analytics tools, especially like Amplitude or Mixpanel, mm. uh, we, we have a, we have a, a very good success story from Tier. Uh, back then, we saw our product managers were always dependent on the data team or the analytics teams to get to the minimum insights about their feature feature development or feature rollouts. Mm -hmm. And and we saw there's a huge bottleneck or pipeline of uh, tickets waiting for to be done by data teams so that they can get there. Mm -hmm. And uh, which is also, I mean, the, the, the decision that we took was very much in line with what our mission as in how do we approach the whole data platform is that we do we decided to do everything to make it self-serve and to remove dependencies uh, on our team. And when we evaluated, we saw a tool like Amplitude would, uh, would bring a lot of mm -hmm. value and, and productivity and uh, reduce the time to insights mm -hmm. for, the, for the product teams. And, and we simply rolled it out. Mm -hmm. And uh, the product managers are using it end-to-end, -end independently, without any intervention from data team. Mm -hmm. Uh, in fact, this this as, as as you mentioned, this tool sits slightly outside the data platform team or the data team, but uh, but this is completely centrally governed by the, the the type of events that we instrument, and how this event flows into the tools, and how uh, product managers are uh, getting the most out of it. Uh, product analytics teams uh, uh, are are very much involved within the use of Amplitude, mm -hmm. so they are supporting the product managers a little bit, but but most of it is completely independent. Mm -hmm. uh, run by product managers mm -hmm. interesting uh, have you ever run into issues um or is this maybe not an issue at a uh, tier that um people would compare you know data or metrics between a tool like amplitude and then maybe what you what you uh, show in in looker you know based on the data warehouse uh, data uh, and then the, the the numbers wouldn't match for example yeah if, if you're trying to figure out let's say monthly active users in Looker and and you do it in Amplitude, the number doesn't match. Is is that an issue or is that not so relevant? Uh, this was a, a, a recurring question back then that always the, the data was not matching. People were people were comparing between two worlds of data, and and we made it very clear that especially in the in the in the in the tier setup, we have we have two worlds of data. One is a backend data, one is a front end data. Yeah. So all the data that we captured from the consumer app. That's that's what uh, it's made available for the on the amplitude yes. for the for the product managers to analyze the product features. This we have made sure that this will not match with the mm. the transactional data yeah. back in the systems that mm -hmm. we generate. So the data that we collect from the app that we made it available on amplitude is for them to reach to a, a insights on a shorter time yeah. not get to the 100% accurate picture mm -hmm. of what is happening yeah. so they can they can still take a decision on a 90 to 95% picture of what uh, what is available there mm -hmm. but but uh, the the source of truth is always the the transactional data mm -hmm. that that we have in the main data warehousing 
Yeah, I, I think that sounds uh, very much like my own experience um, in, in also in working with these different types of data sources, you know, uh, from from the clients, the uh, side tracking um, and and back end as the source of truth, really. Um, all right. Uh, it's, and it's interesting how you're using that also, how you can use that in parallel, basically, and and get the benefits out of both uh, worlds somehow, you know. Um Saomi, I um, I would like to move towards the next um, you know area of um, uh, what what it takes to build up this analytics platform, um, and you're head of analytics platform, and um, so I'm curious also to to hear a bit about um, what what does your team look like? What kind of roles do you have in a team, and what are the tasks that 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 your team is actually um, working on? Uh, On a, on a regular basis in their day-to-day? -day. What are the skills also that you need for, for, for that work? Uh, talking about the tasks in general coming from the analytics platform team and what kind of skills we need for this type of work, yeah. Uh, I would start with the core mo co uh, data modeling. So mm -hmm. data modeling is one of the primary skills mm -hmm. of an, uh, a team member in analytics platform. And how we are working with the rest of the team is as is, is like what happened in a year before and what is happening now has, has changed. Earlier, we used to be the central team, which used to do the data modeling for for most of the most of the topics in and outside the data team. And we were kind of data modeling experts, but, but we are slowly moving to the decentralized format where you can imagine analytics engineers are available in other analytics teams as well, mm -hmm. as well as in uh, analytics platform team. And the moment we, 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 we decided to decentralize analytics engineers, we also, uh, uh, we also uh, followed up with decentralizing the ownership of the data models. Mm -hmm. So analytics engineers in my team, analytics platform team, as well as in the other analytics teams are Are taking care of their models themselves mm -hmm. and they could do end-to-end -end of development and uh, deploying to production and supporting their stakeholders so which which gave us a lot of uh, time and opportunity to focus on the self-serve data analytics platform rather than not working on delivering data models only so the major the the, the second most main responsibility of analytics platform team comes to building the self-serve analytics platform setting uh, standards and best practices on dbt development and also a kind of dbt evangelist mm -hmm. uh, within the data team mm -hmm. and my, my team is also uh, equally focusing on data excellence topic right like running the the looker at the best and uh, having data data quality uh, implemented rolling mm -hmm. out of data catalog to enable data democracy and uh, also running data awareness and data literacy programs To, mm -hmm. to boost the uh, adoption of data. Yeah, well, that's a that's a wide range of topics, and I would like to dive a little bit deeper into into some of them. But maybe very first, you mentioned one um, uh, one one role, uh, one job title um, several times. The analytics engineer. Yeah, is your is your whole team consisting of analytics engineers, or, or do you have other roles also in your team? Uh, at the moment, uh, almost everyone in my team are analytics engineers on on definitely on a different uh, uh, scale of seniority. Sure. And uh, analytics engineers uh, as as a pretty new role in the industry. Yes. Uh, which which I came to know a couple of years before, and also maybe we are one of the few uh, companies in 
uh, in Berlin as well as in EU who adopted the analytics engineer immediately mm-hmm. when when DBT coined this term, mm-hmm. and which which actually made sense a lot uh, as in to have a role like analytics engineers mainly because of we had a very good uh, role called data warehousing engineer back then, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of uh, uh, graying out. At the same time, we had a very, very nice role called business intelligence analyst or business intelligence engineer, mm-hmm. which is also fading out because people are really bored of the term BI anymore. <laughs> and 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 with the recent advancements in the modern data stack on how a generalist person can do everything from A to Z yeah. in, a, in a self-serve way with, the, with the, the modern tools that we're talking about, like Snowflake, mm-hmm. DBT, and tools like Looker. And this is what the role analytics engineer even more uh, relevant. Mm-hmm. In, in, in my opinion, in simple terms, a data warehouse engineer plus a BI engineer is an analytics engineer, and uh, who is a generalist who can do uh, everything uh, end-to-end. Nice, nice. Okay, so you already gave me uh, some definition here. I like that um, because Yes, this is a this is a fairly new role, analytics engineer. It's becoming much much more popular uh, in many companies. Um, it's interesting to hear that you've been adopting this very early. Um, and is there often this question like, what is it actually? What's the difference? Um, how is an analytics engineer different from you know a data analyst, let's say, or a a data engineer maybe, or um, a data scientist? You know what's What's the specific skill set that that you need to bring, or what are the tools that you're mostly using as analytics engineer? In in, in our context, uh, analytics engineers are very fluent and working all the time on DBT and SQL, mm-hmm. and focusing a lot on data modeling. And uh, being being belonging to analytics platform team, they focus on a lot of platform related topics and tools. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, analytics the, the the line between analytics engineers and data analysts and data scientists is that I don't see analytics engineers working on storytelling mm-hmm. or or generating generating insights for the stakeholders. You could have analytics engineers to develop a dashboard, mm-hmm. but but I don't see that as their main responsibility. Yeah. As 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 analytics engineers or generalists, they can be stretched on the both sides. They could mm. do some parts of data engineering if needed. Mm. They could do some parts of uh, creating dashboards mm-hmm. uh, and then going beyond, which is fine. But but uh, anything, once the data is prepared, once the data is made available in a, in a looker to be consumed or any any uh, data consumption tool to be consumed, I, I, I would expect a data analyst or data scientist to mm-hmm. take it from there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and I think it's a, it's a, very clear way of uh, you know of thinking about the responsibilities of course there's some overlap but um, but I think I, I totally understand where, where you draw the line basically um, and you already brought up some ways in which you are structuring the team also how how it's set up in 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 the organization at tier you know with the more centralized and you know more embedded um, people. Um, that's also really interesting for me to hear, especially, you know, you working in the data or analytics platform team, which I, I would tend to think of a more centralized responsibility initially, because the platform is something that probably the whole the whole company can use. Um, but you still mentioned analytics engineers are also working in different um, other teams, business functions. How, how does that look like? What's the responsibility if... Like, like, where where do some analytics engineers sit more embedded, and what how do they work there? 
Yeah. So I think this this opinion or the or the discussion is going to be very much uh, specific to organization and and the types of people and yeah. uh, number of people they have. Uh, talking about tier as an example, uh, going back two years before we were we were people of less than ten, and right now we are a team of sixty. And uh, going uh, two years before the the, the the five to ten people were sitting in one pool, we were doing everything. Mm. Though our roles were A B, we were stretching on both sides and delivering things end to end. And definitely, this was not scalable when the company grows, when the when the when the analytical needs in the company grows. And uh, good that we were able to uh, grow the team uh, in a substantial uh, size. And during the growth, we also structured the team broadly in the, under under two two uh, uh, paths. One is analytical uh, data analytics teams. Other one is a data platform team. Mm-hmm. So the within the analytics teams, you can imagine uh, three to four teams uh, who are very much uh, closer to the stakeholders themselves, mm-hmm. working very much in line with their priorities and their requests. Mm. and uh, solving delivering analytical use cases for their stakeholders mm. whereas data platform team is taking a step back from being very closer to the stakeholders working on self serve uh, scalable data platform which is used by the stakeholders directly let's say data platform team is also responsible for looker mm. which is used by the entire company at the same time data platform team is responsible for building scalable data engineering pipelines Mm. scalable uh easy to use dbt setup yeah uh, and uh, and and things like that. Yeah. that that's 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 the broader that's the broader uh, line between analytics teams and the platform mm-hmm. teams and also looking back and now the whole team was a central team whereas after the split we also made sure the analytics teams are completely independent to deliver everything end to end this is why we have made sure Every analytics teams has data analysts, data scientists, not only the data analysts and scientists, but mm. also analytics engineers, mm-hmm. so that they can they can do their, their own data modeling themselves. They mm-hmm. can they can ingest their own data themselves, and they can support their own data analysts internally and not falling back on the central platform team. Mm-hmm. So all the analytics teams are self serve in a very good degree, and they can execute everything end to end. And which also uh, means that analytics engineers in the platform team are no longer managing uh, 100 or 300, 400 data models. Mm-hmm. Whereas all the analytics teams, all the analytics engineers in different analytics teams are managing and are being accountable for their own data models. And which leaves us the central analytics platform team a very few core models. You can imagine 10% of the entire uh, mm-hmm. data models are only being uh, owned by the analytics platform team. And the main focus falls on the building the scalable uh, mm-hmm. analytics platform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's super interesting, Sami. It's, it's, it's really interesting to hear that. Um, and it makes a lot of sense when you think that the analytics engineers also... Um, you know when they when especially for for some of the you know domain specific data models maybe that are relevant for for some different parts of the company they require not only the you know the, the technical aspect of data modeling but also the domain expertise to some extent uh, um, that uh, comes from you know product or marketing or other areas um, to understand basically what kind of data models are are, are needed there. Um, 
so I would I would like to um, move on more towards the the cultural aspects also um, that uh, that yeah come with a data democratization or that that we can consider here, and you already brought this up um, before um, a little bit as as one of the tasks that that your team is also um, responsible for is not just providing a platform techno like not just the technology um, but also. Uh, helping stakeholders to to use it yeah so um, i'm thinking about uh, stakeholder education or coaching or um, uh, promoting data literacy is, is that something that um, that your team is also um, doing and how, how do you approach this topic to to enable data uh, awareness and literacy we are we are we are thinking about a few initiatives uh, like running uh, monthly onboarding and training programs and also to have a separate uh, role in place in the data team who could be a knowledge manager or a data literacy manager who can continuously work on a set of initiatives that can take and reach different teams and people address their problems and feedback and uh, and uh, uh, bring in some interesting initiatives that could increase their awareness on the data and we are also doing a lot of surveys internally to reach out to people periodically to understand mm -hmm. whether they are able to discover data, whether they are able to uh, whether they are able to take decisions on the data once they once they identify the data, and uh, and we are we are measuring the survey responses as in as in metrics month over month, and 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 figuring out if we are if we are continuously progressing there or not. One thing that um, I'm I'm wondering um, also because you know I've I've been part of some uh, initiatives to you know, move towards more self-service and democratized data in the past. And one challenge that I find is um, uh, to really get stakeholders on board, to really um, um, yeah, make sure that they are um, making use of this approach and they're um, kind of moving from this, um, let's say, more service desk level approach where stakeholders would just like send a question uh, send a request to the data team or the analytics team and then they get an answer um to the to to the stage where they will actually go to looker in this case and and try to you know answer their question by themselves um do you did you find this difficult to get this kind of buy-in from the stakeholders um and um yeah how, how did you approach that in in our example at tier uh, i can i can definitely say that tier has got uh, amazing uh, data adoption rate compared mm. to the other companies uh, um, that that have worked worked so far and which which not only solves the entire problem mm. uh, which which actually gave us details into a lot of other problems that we could solve we have amazing looker adoption everyone goes to looker and and build their own dashboards consume their own data in a in a self service way they want but but we identified that there are a lot of data assets that are that are not tagged properly. Mm. So there are a lot of things that that people don't know how to how to how to proceed further. Is it the right column that I should refer to? Is it the right table that mm. I should look for? Yeah. Can I trust this data? Who is the owner of the data? Yeah. Uh, what are the similar analysis that are run on this data? Mm. Who else is consuming this data? So there's a lot of open uh, open questions that 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 comes to the people mm. when they consume when they consume the data. 
this is something that we, we we identified internally in the data team when we when we grew from uh, few to many people mm. and we also saw that coming from the stakeholders and the data data consumers as well imagine in the slack people are repeatedly asking this question every mm. month where can i find this data where can i find this data is this column can i can i can i refer to mm. all the repeated question gave us a very good uh, uh, prompt to proactively look for uh, a way to democratize data that's what we ended up in looking for a data cataloging tool and i'm also happy to share that we are looking into some good uh, tool tooling vendors out there like atlan caster selectstar and and we also spoke to a bunch of uh, other vendors which gave us a lot of idea about what what data cataloging means and what are the possibilities that that we could um, uh, explore from from this particular tooling as as such that that gave us a very good roadmap to solve this problem so what we what we are working on right now is to go back and document all the data assets and set the data driven mindset to all the stakeholders mm-hmm. we are also working on getting the people in place so that they belong to this topic they understand what are we solving and how this would make their life very easy mm. and also have them as in contributors and once once this whole set is done i think there's a lot of problem a lot of other things to solve like access governance security hmm. and uh, like how we measure a lot of different things on looker adoption yeah. we will definitely also uh, measure uh, data cataloging tool adoption and the feedback loop in place i and, and we all hope that this uh, a rollout of data cataloging tool and working on some other initiatives will position the team from a uh, uh service based to a self service yeah. uh, approach yeah uh sami the more you're telling me about um what your the way you're working at at your in your team and at tier um the more i'm getting the impression that you're really at a very advanced stage in in terms both of the tools that you're already have implemented obviously dbt long time users uh, looker um looking into um into data uh, catalog tools but also in terms of the um organizational structure that you have set up you know and then some processes like data uh, uh, education uh, data literacy education and things like that that you're thinking about i think it's it's very far advanced in terms of comparing to a lot of other um companies that i that i know of or that i've where i've spoken with um, people so um I yeah I'm really happy that we're having this conversation uh, today and i think you're you're really really a great um position to to give a lot of insights into this topic so thanks so much before um we um we finish the podcast i would always like to ask one more um a little bit more personal um question in the end again um because i always also want to get to know the 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 person on the um that i'm that i'm talking with um and so what i'm interested in is you are you are a head of analytics platform and um, I've been head of analytics and leading analytics teams in the past. And my experience when you're in a leadership position, and especially when you're working from home, as I think most of us has been, have been doing for, for the past two years or are still doing that. Um, I find it can be difficult sometimes to, to turn off the work mode and, and really focus on something else. What's what's your personal what's what's your approach to work life balance what do you do to to wind down after a day of work This is a very relevant question uh, considering 
that we all have been working from home for the last couple of years and and it looks like many companies are switching completely to remote especially tier we are 100% remote mm-hmm. and uh, i see this trend is going uh, more in many other industries and companies as well and uh, to be honest uh, i personally may- maybe not, did not do the best in the in the initial times uh, because you save a hour of commute in the morning you save a hour of commute in the evening and then you end up putting all that extra time in work yeah. and and you're also probably eating uh, in the in the middle of the day and uh, attending meetings yeah so you, you we, i actually ended up working uh, more than eight hmm. and uh, maybe maybe that was the case with the team members as well i can very much relate to to what you just um, mentioned i have a very similar experience um, in also in particular you know when uh, when i started working 100% exclusively remote at the beginning of the pandemic but it's also the same for me that it's going to stay this way and um, but in the beginning I, um, yeah, I think I, I worked more and my experience is also that my team, most people were working more longer hours than before because there was less to do, less other things that, that you could do, especially during the pandemic when, when there was still lockdown and things like that. You couldn't even go out. You couldn't meet people. You couldn't, um, there wasn't much else to do. People were at home. And so, uh, yeah, my experience in my team, people were just working more, um, and, This in, in the beginning, everybody in our company was happy because we were more productive than before. Yeah, more things got done. But I think over the long term, it's that's not so healthy. You really, really need this kind of this balance, um, and this becomes can be even more challenging with uh, with the purely remote work. Yeah. What I encourage uh, to the team and I'm telling to myself is to wind down the work at six o'clock or at the end of the day. And commit yourself in in a physical activity like go, going to a yoga or having mm-hmm. a walk, so that you have a strong cutoff time. Yeah. Uh, beyond the time, you're not uh, getting stretched into work. And how we motivate and not not to distract people after after the working hours is that we 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 strongly discourage uh, people reaching out to uh, colleagues on Slack or mm-hmm. emails. Mm-hmm. about about work or anything uh, following up on the work that's how that's how we respect the team members uh, yeah. on their time and not to have them stretched beyond their work time yeah yeah i i really uh like that you're mentioning this um it can be so easy to you know um it, sometimes it's it's okay to to like go back to work um in the evening maybe that's a time when you can really focus and you have the time on that day but to be mindful of of the other of your colleagues and maybe not send off a slack message uh, at that time you know um even though maybe you are working individually because then you're sending a signal also to to everyone else hey maybe i should also be working <laughs> um <laughs> so so i think you can it, it it can be okay in cases to do individual work um uh, outside the core working hours but you should really be mindful of the effect that it can have on the team uh, that's that's my my thoughts definitely sell me um so Uh, yeah, we're coming to the end here. I am uh, again super, super um, happy uh, that you were here and thankful for for a lot of insights that you that you provided on how um, how to build uh, an analytics and data platform and and you know work towards data democratization. So um, thank you again for um, for joining me for this conversation and um, yeah, looking forward to talking to you soon again. 
Thanks, Valentin. It, it was a pleasure uh, uh, talking to you and sharing our, our experiences in a mutual way. And I'm looking forward to more podcasts coming from uh, other leaders and experts in the, in the area of data. Thank you for listening to Analytics Anonymous. If you like the show, please tell your friends and co-workers about it. And don't forget to subscribe. Also, I always appreciate feedback. Every comment or review helps me to improve the show in the future. Feel free to reach out to me directly via email or social media. Take care. Until next time.